Under construction. No, I'm not talking about a new stadium. I'm not talking about a new practice facility or upgrades to Bank of America Stadium. I am talking about the state of the wide receiving core here for your Carolina Panthers. And those words, under construction, came directly from Coach Sean Jefferson in his press conference this week when he talked about the state of our wide receivers. What is going on, folks? If you can't tell, this week's episode is going to be all about offense. This past week, we got to hear from almost every offensive coach, every offensive position coach on the team, everyone except Deuce Staley, and I'm still going to give you my take on the running backs position. But for today, I wanted to jump right in and ask the question, what will the offensive identity be for the Carolina Panthers heading into this season? The offseason is settled. Outside of a few smaller pieces that may come through, and I don't really see many smaller pieces coming through the door on offense, we're pretty much set there. So we've got our free agents, we've got our draft picks, we've re-signed guys, brought guys back. Now we're moving into this mode of installing a brand new offense, and it's important to understand what this offense is going to look like. Taking a look at Thomas Brown and Frank Wright and hearing what they had to say about the future state of this program. Let's go ahead and jump right in. First things first, we heard from Thomas Brown, and we got an update. Who is going to be calling the plays, and what is that going to look like? Well, we heard directly from Thomas Brown that Frank Wright, at least in the initial phases of this, is going to be the play caller. I'm not shocked by this. It's expected. You have a new coach, new young quarterback, likely Bryce Young, going to start. That's my take. He's going to be our starter here week one. And I think he wants to have control. You've got Thomas Brown, who is a brand new offensive coordinator. He does have experience, of course, with the Rams and Sean McVay. But at the same time, this is his, you know, clean slate, fresh start coming over from the Colts. That is Frank Wright. I think he wants to have a little bit of control. I think he will let up as the season goes on. And eventually we will see Thomas Brown calling some plays. But at least in the beginning, we know it's going to be Frank Wright. And I think that that is absolutely okay. As we get into this, Thomas Brown is going to be on the sideline, so he isn't going to be up in the box, so he will be on the sideline helping coach. Not much to take away there, just as a general call out as we head into the season and get you prepared. When Thomas Brown was up there and almost every offensive coach, every single question that felt like was directed towards Bryce Young and just understanding Bryce Young's development, what does he look like? We did hear a few takeaways. It was just nice to hear from Thomas Brown after the draft process and after taking Bryce Young to hear his opinions. And so he was asked when discussing Bryce Young, why he liked him as a prospect. It all came back to the things that we've all heard and understand as an organization. But to repeat those, his ability to handle pressure, his ball placement, his mechanics. Most importantly, he never cared about his height. He just evaluated the tape and the person emphasize the fact that he just doesn't get rattled. He's played in the SEC, which is a big ball. We all know that's a big ball. 
a very strong foundation with his family and how he was raised. Of course, there are going to be questions about his durability, which we will see as it happens. As this thing develops and as we get into the season and Bryce takes a hit and everybody holds their breath and he gets up and it you know, continues to happen, that's how things will shake out. I feel like if Bryce Young came into the league five years ago, absolutely 10 years ago, this would be a totally different conversation. If we're talking about back, you know, 10, 15 years when quarterbacks are getting pounded in the head and knees cut out and things like that, like, yes, absolutely. I would be very concerned that the the Panthers chose to put their franchise in the hands of Bryce Young, a smaller quarterback. With the way things are and the way the game has changed in favor of the quarterback, I am not worried about this at all. Once we get into the season, that's going to be a whole other conversation as we break down week by week, what is this performance going to look like? For me personally, my biggest question about Bryce Young and who he's going to be, I want to measure him against Cam Newton. Cam Newton's rookie year compared to Bryce Young's rookie year, and that's my kind of the bar. And so I think what I'd like to do is talk through what that looks like. What were Cam Newton's rookie stats? Do we think that Bryce Young is going to be an offensive rookie of the year? Can Bryce Young break Cam Newton's stats? We will see. It's something that we'll benchmark as we get into the season. I mean, I think Bryce Young is going to fall in the range of roughly 4,000 passing yards. I would say 20 to 30 passing touchdowns, 5 to 10 interceptions. That's where I'm holding things, and I wouldn't look at him being able to run the ball too much. I wouldn't even worry about his rushing stat. Kind of throw that out the door. But that's my takeaway. Now, the one funny thing that we heard when Thomas Brown was talking about Bryce, so we got into more details. If you remember back when I was talking through the draft process and some of the things that came out of it, they talked about the question when they asked Bryce Young about his work habits and how he prepared Heading into the week from Sunday to Wednesday. Well, we heard more about that today, and it sounds like Thomas Brown was the one who asked the question. And Bryce Young spent 17 minutes talking them through how he prepared, and they just had to cut him off. They had to say, like, dude, all right, we get it. You got this under wraps. That was just another signifying moment for Brown and this coaching staff to understand it. We also heard from Brown that coming into the offensive coordinator position, he was asked, like, when he was being interviewed, what were his thoughts on the quarterbacks and the quarterback class? Bryce Young was right there at the top. I mean, these things are settled. You always, as a fan base, it's nice to hear what's happening outside or inside of the organization, I should say. Things that we really don't have our eyes set on. It's cool to hear that in that perspective. Let's talk about the playbook. We know that we're going through an install right now. What is the playbook going to, you know, how are we going to make the playbook? Well, we learned that 50% of the playbook is coming from Reich. And the other 50% is going to be coming from Brown. So, of course, Reich was with the Colts. Brown has his origins with Sean McVay and the Rams. When I think about the Rams offense, I think about a lot of motion, a lot of guys getting into space, not the quarterback per se, but there's a lot of movement happening. And that's one thing that Thomas Brown emphasized, creating matchups at the line of scrimmage, whether it's moving guys out, moving guys in so that we are able to win those battles. That's what I I see for what Brown is going to want to install. I look for a lot of movements, motions, shifts. When I think about the Frank Wright offense, and I was able to do a little bit of reading on his time, and of course we know the quarterbacks that he's coached, but specifically looking at 
what he has built, he is a big driver of a triangle passing attack. And the triangle passing attack typically consists of a lot of crossing routes, making it easier for the quarterback to essentially have three reads right there in a triangle. So if you think about the progression of a quarterback, I think this is a good starting point for Bryce Young coming into the NFL, not having to think too much. So as he has guys going out on routes, you know, you've got one guy crossing right here on a shallow five, right as that guy goes across, right behind him, you've got a guy crossing at a shallow 10. That doesn't work out. You've got maybe a post or a post corner coming over the top at 15 to 20 yards. So right there in that little triangle, he is able to make a quick decision based off of the scheme and the coverage and get the ball out quickly, which is what you want. The one thing about Frank Wright, or in my opinion, and Frank Wright is with his offenses, we haven't seen a lot of over-the-top passing. I went back and looked. You got to put this, you know, put an asterisk out there because he only had Andrew Luck for one year. And then from there, things, I'm not going to say they fell apart, but he went from Andrew Luck to Jacoby Brissett to Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz and, of course, Matt Ryan. And then, fortunately, last year was fired. It's hard to kind of say, well, yeah, his passing attack isn't great. When you go back and look at the year-by-year breakdown of his quarterbacks, and I actually was doing that. Let me see if I can get it pulled up again. I was going to start in 2018, which is his first year there in Indy, which, of course, he had Andrew Luck. And so that first year, number one, they went 10-6. and Andrew Luck threw four. Let's see, 4,500 yards, 39 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. That was Andrew Luck's last year in the league, or what did they look like, I should say, with Jacoby Brissett. I would say that was the biggest curveball that you could ever have as a coach. Hey, Andrew Luck, 29 years old, is retiring in the prime of his career. Jacoby Brissett takes over in the second year. They go 7-9, and throws for 3,000 yards, 18 touchdowns. I'd say that's under the benchmark. Six interceptions, I should throw that in there. I feel like Bryce Young is from a prospect perspective, higher talent and value than Jacoby Brissett when he was you know, in the league at that age. So I set the bar higher, again, in that 4,000 passing yard range, 20 to 30 touchdowns, hopefully more, and maybe the five to 10 interceptions. Then we saw them pivot to Phillip Rivers. This is when they started borrowing quarterbacks, and we saw Phillip Rivers coming over. Phillip Rivers had a pretty solid year, so 4,100 yards passing, 24 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. That was an older Phillip Rivers, 39 39 years old. And then we look at 2021, which was Carson Wentz, you know, who had uh, experience with Reich, 3,500 yards. I know he had some injuries that year, 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions. So nothing off the charts. I mean, I'm not even going to look at last year because last year was such a short season when Reich was fired in the middle. If we wanted to, just looking at Matt Ryan, 3,000 passing yards, 14 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, we all know that they were just, uh, that's your expectation though, or that's my expectation. I would look to see uh, Bryce Young having a pretty favorable year. Is he going to be a rookie of the year candidate? I don't know. I do see us also establishing a ground attack, a very heavy ground attack, running the ball, similar to Jonathan Taylor's success that we saw with Frank Wright with the Indianapolis Colts rushing for 1,800 yards. That's what I envision. I don't envision one back Miles Sanders or Chuba Hubbard going for that, but spreading the ball around in the backfield, making things happen. That's 100% what I see happening 
And we know that Deuce Staley likes that three-back approach, so being able to rotate guys in and out of the backfield. Now, when we talk about identity outside of motioning and schemes, Thomas Brown talked about being physical at every position. We've heard that. Establishing the line of scrimmage, using motions, and creating matchups, which I've already emphasized. The other thing he emphasized, which I love, I'm going to take this into my personal life. I already do, but I like this saying. He talked about TNT. Things that take no talent. So take no talent, TNT. 100% when you talk about alignment, effort, studying, things that don't take talent, things that you show up, put in the effort, put in the work, in the off season, in the, in the weight room, in the film room, getting your alignments right, understanding the playbook. Those are things that take no effort. And 100% as we come into this brand new scheme, brand new offense, Totally different coaching staff. That's what we've got to do is have those things aligned correctly. He was also pleased about, obviously, you know, having Andy Dalton here, his veteran presence, what that means for the team, and being able to lean on him. We also heard a little bit about talking with uh, Bryce Young specifically about playing under center. We all know that most, not just Bryce Young, most college quarterbacks are playing out of the gun. There are not many offenses unless you go out to the Big Ten where you've got guys playing under center consistently. But things went well in this past week of practice with Bryce Young going under center. Biggest thing, no balls were on the ground. Quarterback and center exchange went well. I think they joked that he probably has taken triple the number of snaps under center this week than he has in his entire career. The other question was, how often do you want to play him under center? And that's a great call out. You know, the NFL, these the data's there, the analytics are there. Defenses are smart. They will scout you and understand your schemes, how you're going to handle being under center. What are, you know, when are you typically rolling out and doing this? What are you doing in the gun? And so it's important to have that good breakdown of being under the center, especially with the running game and being able to get out to break those consistencies. We know that it would make a lot of sense for Bryce to be back there uh, in shotgun more, just because of his size, but at the same time, we know we can't do that. That's what you got. The only other thing that really came out of it, we all heard for the 50th time that Andy is the starter. I mean, that's a no-brainer. They're not going to name Bryce the starter until week one. That's what I've got. Week one, he'll be named it. And then for the offense itself, the other takeaway was talking through spreading out the offense versus mixed splits and what was his opinion. He didn't really have a true opinion, just whatever favors, you know, the player and personnel that we have on the field. That's what you got. That was a good summary and takeaway that set the tone for what we would hear from the other coaches that came through. Next coach was Chris Tabor, offensive line. Biggest thing for him, what were his impressions coming into this offseason versus last season? And the biggest takeaway was that veteran presence that we've talked about. So not having to cheat, teach things, making bigger strides earlier with the install. Yes, it's a brand new offense, but at the same time, there's fundamentals that offensive line, you know, you're either going to be run blocking, run blocking to a certain scheme, which the Frank Wright scheme, they love to do zone versus, you know, the power or gaps. Being able to do those things early, absolutely important. When he was asked about the injuries at guard, you know, with Brady Christensen, Austin Corbett, he's gave your, your typical coach speak at being able to move on. Like you understand when it happens, they get the surgery. Now it's about preparation, next guy up, and that's 100% what they're focused on. You'll love this tidbit when he was asked about Chandler Zavala. If you have not seen him in the draft room when Chandler Zavala was selected, he was very pumped. But guess what, folks? He dropped the word. 
collaborative, as always, talking about that collaborative approach when scouting and being able to select him, and of course, referencing Fitter as usual, Frank Wright, you know, being able to make that decision. The other other takeaways that it was it was good to hear were questions about batted balls. Would we be doing anything different on the offensive line to help people get their hands down? Again, coach speak, he was like, no, we're going to do things like normal. We saw balls batted last year with Baker Mayfield. He even brought up the fact when he was the offensive line coach for the Chargers, Justin Herbert, big dude, 6'4", he had balls batted down. So there's always going to be an emphasis on the linemen establishing the line of scrimmage, not letting guys get deep, protecting the passing lanes, and ensuring they get their hands down. But there's not going to be an overemphasis that we have to have these guys' hands down. And if you think about Bryce Young, he's been able to deliver in the pocket through those gaps and holes throughout his entire career. So that's what you get. Our solid all-star left tackle, Iki Aquanu, he talked about how much he has grown. We know at his time at NC State, he was a heavy run uh, run blocker. That's what he was known for. So getting in the vertical pass game set was something that he struggled with in the first few games last year, which we saw, but he was much farther ahead than where he was last year, which is exactly what you want to hear when you talk about a solid left tackle first round pick that we selected last year to help build this foundation. And that was your summary for the offensive line. John Tilly, tight ends coach, was very short and sweet. There wasn't much to talk about. I think the first question was, was he surprised that we did not select a tight end in the draft? And his answer was no. I mean, I think with a lot of these, you're going to get good old coach speak in the offseason, not giving away too much. But I, I, I do feel like that was a true answer. He said that he had a good feeling about the tight end room that's there. And this is what was very interesting to me. And I think it's, you know, as we talk about this fan base or we talk about the, the Panthers, and our fan base, we've got to understand, and I didn't really think about this, Tommy Trimble was 20 years old when he was drafted. So he is young. He is honestly younger than most of the draft prospects at tight end that came out this year. Most of those guys are 22, 23. Now Trimble, of course, now is 22, but he's got two years of NFL experience under his belt. As I think about this room right now, I'd say most people have us pegged with Ian Thomas being wide receiver, or excuse me, tight end two. I look for Tommy Trimble to make the leap, especially in this offense where we are trying to spread the ball around to a lot of guys. We know we're going to need some playmakers. We want to get Trimble in space to oppose matchup difficulties. I think that's what I'd look for, 100% for Tommy Trimble to make the leap. He did mention that Trimble stayed here in the offseason. He's been working very hard, so keep your eyes peeled there. Ian Thomas, more of your blocking tight end. We know he can catch. But I look for Trimble to make the next step. He's got time to make the next step too. But I look for him to show us something. He's going to be kind of a sleeper on the offense this year. And we'll see where that goes. All right. Sean Jefferson, wide receiver. You heard me talking through, you know, leading off the podcast, talking about what this wide receiving core is or will be. And the the shortest summary was under construction. We don't really know who we are. And he kept emphasizing that. So I think part of that is getting guys motivated. What he is looking for, though, obviously, number one, guys that can catch the ball. That was his number one takeaway. We need guys that can catch the football. But then, you know, taking a step back from that, self-starters, competitive go-getters, people who are mature and smart and can process information fast. 
Mingo, when speaking specifically about Mingo, said he was everything that they thought he was when they went through the draft process, that he's jumped right in, learning as much as he can, which we saw specifically with Steve Smith coming in, engaging with the players. That's one thing that he he really liked. Speaking of Jefferson, was the ability to have some of these former Panthers players, specifically Smith there, helping, talking through his experiences, combining that together, getting them ready to play. What I don't know is what this wide receiving room is going to look like. Now, at the end of this episode, I will go through our roster where it stands today. And there were a few roster moves that were made that I'll talk about. But when we you know, try to envision what this team is going to be, we've got a crowded wide receiver room. And I've said that since day one. I couldn't tell you who's wide receiver one, two, three, four. What I do know is I look for Terrace Marshall to compete to compete for wide, you know, that exposition, the number one receiver. I feel like Adam Thielen may start there initially, but then look for looking for him to compete and take over. The only other convert or, you know, takeaways as far as why he chose Carolina, he talked about one, just being closer to family, but Frank Wright being a man of integrity. And we're seeing that across the entire organization here. It feels it feels very different. And you know, I, I've said that a few times on the show, but it does feel different. feels like we are heading in the right direction. Now, the question I have, are there too many cooks in the kitchen? We talk about all this experience and all these veteran coaches with NFL experience coming in and helping the team. How much is too much? We'll find out, but I think we're going to be okay. Absolutely going to be okay there. Last coach that we heard from was Josh McCown. Thing that I liked about him kind of starting off for those, and for those I should have started off myself, for those uh, in Charlotte, he gave a statement around those battling the fire that was there. That was his opening statement. So really good to hear that, you know, just being there and his involvement. And he got all the, I mean, you're the quarterback's coach. You're going to get all the questions about Bryce Young. Did he help picking Bryce Young even though, or, you know, what was his thoughts about him? Being short, and did he pick him because of his high release? And he said that wasn't necessarily a factor, but it was good to have or a good to have thing. So that's what we saw. He talked about his percentage of throws over the middle higher than most quarterbacks. So that was another thing that was evaluated because when you think about a short quarterback, some people might say, well, they can't throw the ball over the middle because it's going to get batted down or they can't see. But he said those things didn't show up on tape, didn't show up on tape at all. He could make delicate throws and knew what to do getting in and out of the pocket. What we heard from a few coaches that I didn't really talk about, a lot of people talk about Bryce Young being able to play off schedule. And what that means is his, you know, being able to improvise, getting out of the pocket, making a play, you know, when pressure's there, being able to improvise, making something out of nothing, but at the same time, being able to ensure that you're running the play that's called, and you're not doing that every play. I remember when I played way back in the day, not NFL level, level football, but there was a few times that I had quarterbacks, <clears throat> excuse me, that would roll out and no matter what the play was, they would take the ball and run. <clears throat> so it's important to have that delicate balance between being able to make those plays whenever you want, but also being able to ensure that you're running the scheme that you have in place. He also talked about Bryce Young being under center that he's looked great back there, that he doesn't have any concerns, and we've already heard those takeaways as well. Now, the interesting thing was his discussion around Bryce Young's jump from college to the NFL. One thing he highlighted was the fact that he got to work under Bill O'Brien, Nick Saban, Steve Sarkeesian, 
guys that had NFL experience, had NFL experience running offensive plays and playbooks, and that has helped him. You know, that knowledge and language of things that transition over, that they brought with them, he's now able to take and bring that into the room. What they did say, and they continue to emphasize the fact that Bryce Young is a very hard worker. He said he's spending as much time as legally possible, no joke, as legally possible through the collective bargaining agreement with Bryce Young, getting in the playbook, ensuring that he understands what the calls are, where the offensive is, or where the offense is, and being able to go from there. What's nice about this, in his words, kind of paraphrasing here, but because Bryce Young is so, you know, jumping in head over heels, getting into this thing, learning as quickly as possible. They're able to go into these meetings when they're going through the playbook and talking about schemes, taking, you know, not step one and two, but step three, four, and five, building out exactly where they want this offense to be. And that's what you want to continue to hear as a Panthers fan heading through this process. The only other takeaway that came out of the press conference was a just discussion around McCown going from a player in the league to being a coach and what that transition looked like. He joked that the last three or four years that he's been in the NFL that he was already being called coach on the sideline and in the huddle. So it wasn't much of a change. But he said the biggest difference is trying to digest what he wants the player to understand and making sure that the quarterback, in this case, Young and Dalton, truly understand what he's trying to get them to go out there and execute. So he can say, yeah, go out here, roll right, take a look at this read, get your hands up, whatever it is. But he wants to ensure that they understand the full grasp of what he's trying to put out there and that he's communicating well enough for them to to be able to do that. There you go, folks. That was the breakdown. Now, the only coach, again, that we did not hear from was Deuce Staley, running backs coach. I'm going to guess that we'll hear from him in the coming weeks. It sounds like we got to hear from pretty much everyone else. Let's take a look now at our depth chart. There were two moves that were made with players being cut. Number one, we got one of our questions answered around the quarterbacks. We're starting to see that that play out, and I thought it would. Uh, Jacob Eason was cut, and Preston Williams, wide receiver, was cut. A few small moves. So quarterback room goes from four to three, gets a little bit smaller. Wide receiver room drops by one. But we also brought in a few other guys. So we signed Gary Jennings, wide receiver, Jordan Thomas, linebacker, Marquez Stevenson, wide receiver, Vernon Scott, defensive back. So we brought in a few other guys and uh, made things a little more crowded. Talking through what we've got on paper today. I find it funny that every news outlet or every resource, CBS, Fox Sports, ESPN, wherever you go to to get your information, they all have, when you go out to look at a depth chart, they have Bryce Young listed as quarterback one, even though we have said and heard from the coaches multiple times that Andy Dalton is the starter. I I guess people, we're just ignoring what we're hearing from the coaches, whatever. Uh, When we talk about quarterbacks, I still would keep your eyes open. I'm curious at Matt Corral's recovery and how healthy he's going to be. I do think if he's comfortable and can manage, he would be a great, you know, third option. But when we start looking at the rest of the roster, I don't know if we can afford to keep three quarterbacks on the roster heading into the season. It feels like a Andy Dalton, Bryce Young show. That's that's the way I'm reading this. More to come as this thing plays out. Now, running back. Running back is not as crowded, but we have Miles Sanders, starter, Chuba Hubbard, 
going to get lots of reps. And then it's going to be a competition for that third spot. Raheem Blackshear, Spencer Brown, and Cameron Peoples. Cameron Peoples being one of the undrafted free agents from App State, actually. My my take, I don't I can't tell you between Blackshear and Brown. Both of them looked okay. Now Blackshear did get more production last year. So if I had to to, to pick today, I'd say Sanders, Hubbard, and Blackshear are your three running backs heading into next year. Fullback, we have Giovanni Ritchie listed. Really one H H back there, fullback. Uh, there's not much to talk through on that side. Wide receiver, Adam Thielen, wide receiver one, DJ Chark. Then we go into the list of receivers. Terrace Marshall Jr. listed as wide receiver three. We know that we'll have three wide receivers starting. Jonathan Mingo is now bumped up a little bit. I'll be curious to see where he lands. LaVisca Chenault, who I've talked about. Then it gets fun. We have Shai Smith. We have Demir Bird, who we brought in over in free agency. And then we have a bunch of guys that were on the practice squad last year. CJ Saunders, Derek Wright, and then a few guys we've signed during the offseason. Marquez Stevenson and Gary Jennings. I don't know where the line's going to be drawn. I could see Bird, Smith potentially getting some return duties. And maybe that's how they make the roster. But if I'm looking at this, I think we keep six receivers, six to seven receivers. I don't know that we could really keep seven. So you have Thielen, Chark. Marshall, Mingo, Chenault, that's five. Smith would be six. And Bird, who we signed, I don't know why we would sign him and then let him go. Maybe he is your returner. So that would round it out for me. Maybe we would be okay with that if we're willing to make a sacrifice in another position. Tight end, we have Hayden Hurst, starter. Tight end number one. And Thomas listed as tight end number two. Again, Tommy Trimble listed as wide... What am I saying? I keep saying wide receiver. Tight end number two. Tommy Trimble listed as... Tight end number three. I look for Trimble to make the move, as I just mentioned, to why, uh, gosh, why am I saying wide receiver, folks? Tight end number two. Left tackle, Ikiakuanu, locked in. His backup right now is Larnell Coleman, and then J.D. Rezino, or D. Rezino, excuse me, and that's where I could see, you know, some casualties on the line. I look for us to carry eight to ten. I should say nine to 10 offensive linemen. So we may not have a backup for every position. We will likely have someone who can rotate into multiple positions. The other thing to note, you likely will have Brady Christensen or excuse me, Austin Corbett on IR for the start of the season. Christensen may be back in time. So that also could shake things out and open up the door for someone else to come through. Left guard right now would really be Justin McCray. Then behind him, you have Deontay Brown and Michael Jordan. Brady Christensen likely coming into that role, assuming he's healthy. Center, Bradley Bozeman. And then his backup is Sam Tecklenburg. Although I would look for us to, again, keep someone that could play multiple positions on this starting lineup. Right guard, Austin Corbett. This is going to be one to watch because you have Chandler Zavala, rookie, coming Coming into play here, and then we've got Cade Mays and Nash Jensen. I'd look for Nash to get cut or, you know, not be one of the ones that make the final roster for analyzing this. And then right tackle, Taylor Moten, Cameron Irving, and BJ Wilson round that out. That's what we have on paper. I don't see this changing that much heading into the season. I don't believe we'll you know, likely go out and uh, bring on any additional people. 
that's what we got, folks. Now, we're going to have to start whittling this thing down. Not today. We all know that we've got time and things are going to happen. That was one thing that was emphasized through the press conference. One, the health of the players. We know that injuries happen all the time, not just during the season, but in training camp. Weird things happen, mini camp, whatever it is, through the offseason. So all of this could could play out without us even having to do anything. I remember last year looking at the quarterback room thinking, you know, Darnold, PJ, Baker, Matt Corral. We had four quarterbacks. PJ Walker was clearly going to be the last man out. PJ Walker was going to be cut. Well, what happened? Matt Corral gets hurt during the season, in the preseason, I should say, goes on IR. He's out for the year. PJ Walker comes in, makes the roster. So we have our three quarterbacks. P.J. Walker, of course, with Sam Darnold also getting hurt, sees some playing time when we're sitting there early in the season running with Baker and P.J. So things happen. We want to have a healthy team. We don't want players to get injured. But at the same time, you know, things can can pop up like that. When we talk about the receiver room, we know D.J. Chark's coming off an injury. We know that Adam Thielen is older. He, he should be fine out there uh, as wide receiver one. I really want to see what Terrace Marshall can do, Mingo and Chenault. Shai Smith, though, if he does not come in as a returner, could be someone that's cut. I think Saunders, Wright, Stevenson, and Jennings, as I said, at wide receiver, would likely be practice squad players for that. I did not talk about defense at all this week. That was on purpose. I wanted to shorten this week's episode as we are in the lull of the offseason to spend some time Focusing specifically on offense, and the next week we're going to look at defense and special teams, breaking down what we heard there, the feedback that we got. I will give you a sneak peek. The The biggest thing that we heard from uh, listening to Avera this week was the opposite side, Brian Burns, outside linebacker. It sounds like there's really nobody there. <laughs> like We got a bunch of guys that are going to be competing. We don't really know who's going to be in that spot just yet, but that's one thing to watch. Closing out today's episode, I wanted to highlight a tool that I used this past week. This is not a promotion. This is just me telling you about it. I was given early access to Pro Football Focus's Season Simulator. So if you recall, when I was doing my draft preparation, I used their tool for the draft work. When they actually emailed me about early access and beta, I ignored it. I didn't even know what it was. But then I got online. I saw a Falcons fan using it, and he referenced I think the Falcons got like 11 wins or something like that. So I said, why not? Why not go in and check this out? So I did. I I simulated probably 10 seasons and I posted most of the results on the Instagram page. What I saw was a range. I think the highest win total we had was about 11 in the simulation. More consistently, we were in the six, seven, eight, nine win range, which is on par for what I think we will be this year. Having said that, I know last week I went through my predictions for the year, having us pegged at 10 wins, winning the NFC South, in my opinion. I think that's where we're going to land. Hey, it's it's the offseason. I can be optimistic until this thing happens and we start losing games, which hopefully we don't. What is wide open is the NFC. And if you look at the NFC quarterback situation compared to the AFC, it is night and day. And I'm going to go through the list of quarterbacks and you tell me if you're scared of the Panthers making it through. I know we play AFC opponents, but if you think about the NFC as a whole, if we get into the playoffs, I'm not going to be too worried about some of these guys. So starting off, we know Atlanta Falcons, they have Desmond Ritter, the Cardinals, Kyler Murray, 
not worried. The Panthers projected, of course, with Bryce Young. Chicago Bears, Justin Fields. He's one of the, the top quarterbacks now, Justin Fields. Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott. Detroit Lions. I know as a team, they're much better, but we're looking at Jared Goff. Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers is gone. They've got Jordan Love. Los Angeles Rams, Matthew Stafford, or hey, Stinson Bennett going to make a move there? Not concerned about that, but uh, Stafford is coming off of an injury. Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins, division rival Saints, Derek Carr. Is Jalen Hurts the best quarterback in the NFC? Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts. Who knows what the Niners are going to put out there? We Brock Purdy, Trey Lance, Sam Darnold. I can see Sam Darnold starting there. Seattle Seahawks, Geno Smith. Tampa Bay, Baker Mayfield, or Kyle Trask. And then the Washington Commander, Sam Howell, or Jacoby Brissett. I would say that the uh, quarterback situation in the NFC is much more favorable for us. And we have to take advantage of that. Because when you look over at the AFC, you have Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Deshaun Watson, who should be improved, Russell Wilson, who should be improved, rookie CJ Stroud, rookie Anthony Richardson, Trevor Lawrence, Patrick Mahomes, Jimmy G, Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, Mac Jones, Aaron Rodgers, Kenny Pickett, Ryan Tannehill, or Will Levis. That is a loaded quarterback division conference, I should say. And man, we as a organization have to take advantage of what we have here in the NFC for the next few years. I know things are going to shake up and play out as as, as the season goes on and or the off seasons go on, but absolutely need to take advantage of this. Well, that's all for today's episode, folks. Next week, we'll dive into the defense, keep this thing rolling. That's all I got. See y'all.